going to be in the book of Proverbs together. If you've noticed in the book, uh, there is, I think, one picture. It's not that fancy, but um, I was reminded of uh, when the book first kind of showed up at the house. One of my sons, six years old, he always, he just kind of says what's on his mind, which gets him and us into trouble a lot. Um, But he, he looked at me with this sincere kind of sadness and sympathy and he just said, Dad, I'm, I'm just sad because no one's going to read your book. And I said, why not, buddy? He's like, there aren't any pictures. And he was, he was really, really sad for me because um, he had known that I was writing a book. And then there it was. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> you made a big mistake. So, so for those of you who aren't going to read it because there's no pictures, there is one. So at least turn to that page. All right. Well, has anyone here had a demonstration speech to do, high school or college? What'd you do? Abe, what'd you do for years? You remember? What do you remember, Kevin? I did a history speech. Okay. Like, you know, you teach them how to do something. I taught them how to shoot a basketball. There it is. That's great. Yeah. Play trumpet. That's good. That's great. Any others? Ventriloquism. Ventriloquism. That's great. So my first one was in high school, and um, I tried to, or I taught them how to play guitar, and that went really well. You know, people want to know. So they're interested. It's legitimate skill. They, they're interested in how to play. Um, and then I gave another demonstration speech in college. And this time I chose a little bit kind of a comical route, at least as I thought. So I was going to do how to make a sandwich. And I, in a sense, that's humorously obvious, right? We all know how to make a sandwich. And it was funny for 15 seconds. And then, you know, people are settling and realizing they got to listen to me yammer on about how to make a sandwich for a while. So their initial laughter turned to kind of courtesy smiles. You know, nobody wants a play-by-play on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, in my defense, I did introduce some nuances. You know, you have the open face and the closed face. you got the double-decker. you got the club, the peanut butter and jelly. So there's a lot of different ones. Um, however, um, no one wants to hear me yammer about that. You know, I think many of us think about friendship the way that my classmates thought of that second demonstration speech. Isn't it obvious, right, we think? We don't think much about the topic of friendship directly because we don't think we need to. And as a result, friendship is one of the most familiar and yet forgotten relationships in our day. We think we know what it is. But I think for many of us, it's certainly been the case for me, our understanding is pretty thin. And we think we know how to do it well, and yet it's really a lost art. So here's what I want to do in this session. Spend some time in Proverbs to understand the nature of friendship. What is it? And then I want to share a number of practical suggestions for how we can each take some steps forward in cultivating friendship. So really just two key questions in this session. What is it? And how do we cultivate it? So first, the nature of true friendship. So what I'm going to do here is give a definition. It should be printed at the top of the session's sheet in your handout. Uh, Give a definition here. And this definition really came from just reflecting on Proverbs. So I just want to give it to you and then walk through it phrase by phrase. So here's the definition. True friendship is an affectionate bond forged as we journey with truth and trust. True friendship is an affectionate bond forged as we journey together with truth and trust. So let's just walk through this. So first, it's an affectionate bond. So Proverbs 18.24, let's think this one through for a moment. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who's closer than a brother. So notice there's two different kinds of relationships here, right? There's companions and a friend. So what's the difference between the two? You know, Proverbs are written um, to reflect on. So many of the Proverbs don't give their meaning or their significance to us unless we think about it um, and slow down. So what's the difference between the two? What do you see? Anyone can just shout it out. Yeah, and where, how do you see that? Well, a companion could be somebody driving by in your car. Uh-huh. Or on a bus with you. Right. A friend is the person that you can share anything That's with great. Yeah. That's good. Yep. And what else do you all see? Maybe even from this verse, yeah. I don't think there's as much accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know most of the guys in here, they're acquaintances, but yeah. are we really holding one right. another? Yeah, that's because good. we know each other intimately enough to know where we're that's really good. And what do you notice from this verse? I mean, just thinking about this verse in particular, what difference? It may be obvious. What difference do you see between the two? Quantity. Quantity, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Many companions, a friend. It didn't say many companions and many friends. Yeah. Uh, so there's many companions, but a friend. So this implies that true friendship may be rare and that you probably can't have a ton of close friends. Second, the main difference is that the friend is closer, right? He is closer than a brother. You know, in the ancient Near East, family relationships were very close, actually much closer than we view them today. For a friend then to be described as closer than a brother in that context would have been an incredible statement. So we usually think of friendship as outside of the circle of family, right? If you kind of have this inner circle of family relationships, friendship's kind of outside of this. But here, we see that a close friend can not only break into that inner circle, but actually get closer. That's radical for us today. It was radical for them, especially in the ancient Near East, Near East to think about someone who is not part of a family becoming closer than family. We can think about relationships as lanes on a highway, so if you picture yourself moving down, uh, picture yourself in the left lane, and in the far right lane, there's a lot of cars there. These are acquaintances. Those are people who you, whom you know, maybe who you spend time with a bit, uh, but you aren't really close with them. Other people in your life are in the middle lanes, and there's going to be a little bit fewer people there. Proverbs calls these companions here. So we often call them friends, but we don't really share life with them and call them casual friends. And then there are some in the far left lane with us. These are our closest friends, and there won't be many people in this left lane. There are many companions, but a friend who's closer than a brother here. So a few people might become this close to you. So it's helpful to think about just everyone whom you're close with, the closest with, and just think which lane they're in. So I'd even encourage you sometime, maybe later today, maybe even now, just kind of draw those lanes and just write down who you think is in that left lane with you and whom you think might be in the middle lane with you. Um, that can just be a good starting point to then even think, okay, how can I take steps forward with each of these people um, in my life in these lanes? And just ask yourself of people in your life, is this a companion, kind of casual friend, or is this a close friend of mine? So true friendship is an incredibly close bond. In the Old Testament, there's a phrase that's used to refer to friendship that's peculiar. There's a place in Deuteronomy that briefly lists Various kinds of people that could be close to you, you know, spouse, sister, brother, friend, and so forth, neighbor, 
Deuteronomy 13.6 refers to a brother-in-law, daughter, wife, all of these. And the NIV translates the original text as referring to someone who's a close friend. And here's a kind of a more literal or wooden translation of that. It refers to your friend who is as your own soul. Is that striking? Kind of just a passing statement that Moses gives describing different relationships and the way that it's described when it refers to a friend is your, your friend who is as your own soul. So that suggests a deep oneness in the way that they think about friendship. And it's a close bond with affection. We see this at the beginning of David and Jonathan's relationship. I mentioned that last night. Jonathan had heard about David's faith by seeing his courageous battle with Goliath, which is about his trust in the Lord and how the Lord rescued his people through his king. So David is trusting the Lord here. Jonathan sees that in action. And then very soon it says the soul of Jonathan was knit or bound to the soul of David. So like metals welded together, friendships, a binding of souls. And at the heart of true friendship is affection. Close friends like each other, right? They have affection for one another. They don't just enjoy activities together. They enjoy each other. So next we see true friendship is an affectionate bond forged as we journey together. So life is a journey. We're all traveling along a path, and true friends are those who travel along that path with us. They don't just check in in certain seasons of life, but true friendship would be people that we are actually traveling along the path of life with. They're companions along the journey. So look at Proverbs 17.17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So think with me, what kinds of times are included in all times. Well, if you think of life as a journey, this means it's through the forests, through the valleys, through storms, up hills, sunny days. Proverbs 27.10 reinforces this, puts an obligation on friendship. This is one of the more surprising statements in Proverbs to me when I started studying friendship. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. Just because... I think we think of friendship so often as this kind of relationship that doesn't have commitment. And I've heard people say, isn't that what makes friendship so unique and great? You know, you don't have to stay friends. You know, you're always choosing to be friends. I mean, there's something to that, I guess. But the, the way that Proverbs understands friendship is that over time, there is an implicit commitment that's created there. And Proverbs can even say, when someone's considered your friend now, do not forsake them. And the context of that verse is when a calamity comes into your friend's life. So this is saying, you know, think, think of someone, a family member dies, or someone is diagnosed with cancer, or they're in a season of financial difficulty or depression. I mean, this happens to people around us all the time and friends that we may have. So what do you do when that happens in your friend's life? Well, Proverbs says you have a responsibility to that brother. You have a responsibility to not forsake that friend in their time of difficulty. You move in closer. So there's a commitment there. So you can think of it like this. There's two kinds of friendship. There are consumer friends 
and there are covenantal friends. You know, Jonathan and David made a covenant of friendship with each other. I don't think that we need to make covenants of friendship with each other, but there is a covenant-like commitment in all true friendship. So here's the difference between the two. Consumer friends stay with you in the good times. Covenantal friends are with you even in the hardest times. Consumer friends come and go when it's convenient and when it's easy and when there's extra time in life. Covenantal friends get together even when it's hard and they shift around their schedule to make sure they have time for you and you have time for them. So that runs against our culture in a lot of ways, right? We're individualistic and this is a deeply communal vision of life. It assumes that we don't just value family, but we also have close friendships. So Proverbs assumes, in the verses that we just looked at, it assumes that we have close friendships both within family and outside of family. So here's a couple implications of that. First, for those of you who are married, your spouse is to be your best friend, but she's not to be your only friend. The biblical vision is neither isolated individualism nor family life alone, exclusive family life. It's a communal life filled with rich friendships. Uh, I know a lot of men I've talked to, some have even explicitly said, you know, when I got married, I don't need any more friendships. It's not only that that they drifted, but they feel like they don't even need it because now I have a family. Now I have my wife. And Proverbs would say, no, the vision of, of life, the good life, is not just rich family relationships, but family and close friendships. And for a church community, this assumes that those who are not married um, should feel deeply included in thick community. Because a church, if a church is filled with those who highly value family alone, then those who do not have close family members nearby will feel isolated and excluded and not experience the kind of community life that we're supposed to as a church family, right? So this means that those who are single and married need to make sure they have time for each other and not only um, be with other people, maybe even a similar stage of life. So there's going to be a heightened intentionality then to open up space for one another. One man just recently said to me, he said it, it was, he was recently married and he had a long period of time where he wasn't in the church. And he said, it is so hard to be single in the church. So hard. And so many people that aren't in that season of life either forget what it's like or have no idea what it's like. So there's going to be this great intentionality um, to have friends, true friendship. So next, friends journey together with truth. So friends speak the truth to one another. This includes being transparent, speaking the truth about who you really are. It includes words of counsel and words of correction. So we see words of counsel here in Proverbs 27, verse 9. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That could be translated counsel of soul, counsel from the heart. So there's a kind of counsel that can only come from a friend. Our closest friends know us better than anyone else. You know, um, if you've had really close friends, you recognize as well that they know you better than you know yourself. Actually, people who even aren't your friends know certain things about you better than you know yourself, right? There's a lot of uh, need for us to grow in self-awareness, and true friends can help us understand ourselves as well. So when, I'm in, so when we make decisions, we need to bring people into our lives who know us well, because we don't actually see the fullness of reality on our own. We actually are not wise enough to make important decisions for our own lives. 
We need to make that in community. When I made the decision to move down to Indianapolis, I brought close friends and family into the situation, um, told them about the, the, the opportunity at the church that I was considering. And if they all said, this is a bad idea for you, it's not wise, I would not have gone. I would not have trusted. I mean, unless the Lord gave me a very clear statement, which he didn't do, then you know, I would have said, okay, I trust that you guys see reality uh, really clearly and I won't go. But they were affirming of that and said, this seems to be wisest, the wisest decision uh, for your life. And so, you know, they know me and I trust them. So decision-making should be a communal process. Uh, it also includes words of correction, not just words of counsel. So true friends are willing to give and receive hard words. So look down at Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. That should be printed for you as well. It gives us contrasts. So let's think through this one. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So open rebuke. Telling someone that they have a problem, right? It's speaking a hard truth to someone about something they've said or they've done or an attitude issue they have, right? And Proverbs calls that a faithful wound. Nobody likes to hear that they have a problem, right? No one likes to hear that they've said or done something wrong or unwise or unkind. But this says that a rebuke, when given by a close friend who loves you, is a faithful wound. It's good for you. It's helpful. Recently, someone asked me to meet for breakfast, and he's a friend of mine, and about 15 minutes into the conversation, he said, I wanted to mention why I wanted to meet with you. I feel like maybe I've said or done something to offend you. I feel like maybe you're upset with me. And it turns out he was being somewhat generous with me. He got that impression because there were a couple occasions when I was more uh, short and directive with him, and he felt like I was angry with him about something or bothered by him. And so we got to talk it through, and it was really good for me because I have learned that I don't quite perceive myself correctly in some situations. And I've learned through a couple conversations with people that when I kind of get my plate filled with administrative details and a lot of tasks and logistics, um, I can get really kind of in this business mode. And I don't even realize that I'm just kind of being really short with people and kind of saying, well, go take care of that, this. And I'm just kind of trying to get things done. And they're like, what's wrong with him? You know, Um, is he mad at me? And so this guy thought that I was angry with him. And I certainly wasn't. I thought back to those times. I was like, oh, yeah, that was that was right. Sadly, it was right before our church gathering, you know, and I kind of had a lot of things on my mind. And I was like, man, I wasn't upset at all. I just had a lot on my mind. So I've got to I've got to start thinking through how I come across to people because I was actually fine as I thought back to those moments. Um, But he didn't perceive me that well. So grateful for him. And, you know, that had happened a year before he met with me, and he'd been living with that for a year, wondering if I was upset with him or if he had offended me. So I'm glad that he brought it up. I was able to ask forgiveness. Um, He was able to understand me. I want to grow in this area. So I needed him to just gently, kindly let me know how I come across. Finally, friends, journey together with truth and trust. So we see this in Proverbs negatively. We see what happens when trust is eroded in a friendship. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. What do you think it means to repeat a matter here? So he who repeats a matter separates close friends. What, what does that mean to repeat a matter? What are some options? 
Yeah, gossip. And how would you define gossip? What comes to mind when we think of gossip? Telling something that you were told in private. Yeah, telling something you were told in private that wouldn't be appropriate to share elsewise. Yep. So it could mean um, repeating something in that kind of situation like gossip. It could mean um, even you just keep bringing something up that should be covered and forgotten. There's a couple options for repeating a matter, right? Because especially this idea that whoever covers an offense seeks love. So it seems like it could envision a situation where someone has done something offensive or harmful and either they've confessed it, you've forgiven it, and it should be forgotten, or you're just covering that and you're not, it's, you don't need to bring up. I mean, this isn't calling us to rebuke everyone about everything in their life. I mean, there's so much patience needed. So in these times when we should just cover something, you don't just bring it up. And you don't repeat it. You don't bring it up over and over. Um, you leave it in the past. Or it could mean, yeah, sharing information about a friend that shouldn't be shared. If something bothers you about a friend, you got a couple options. One, you can rebuke them in love. Right? You can deliver a faithful wound like that friend did to me. That's one option if something bothers you about a friend. The second thing you can do is you can cover it in love. Um, you just cover over it. In love. But one thing you can't do is repeat a matter, according to this verse. So you don't go whispering about it to others. That's this whisperer in Proverbs. You don't gossip. You don't grumble about someone. You don't complain about someone. You either address it with the person gently and directly, or you cover it. But you don't let it kind of just linger in your mind and then bring it up with people or bring it up against that person over and over. And so what's the consequence here? If you do repeat a matter. Yeah. And that word for close friends, as far as I can tell, is it's, it's the strongest Hebrew word for friendship. It's used pretty rarely. And it's used in Proverbs to talk about the separation of close friends. Um, and so, why is such, is such a big deal? Why is it such an issue? It's because it betrays trust. Right? Trust is the foundation of friendship. So gossip uh, puts a crack in the foundation of the home of friendship. If people repeat a matter about you, then you won't open up to them anymore. Right? I have people that I'm very guarded with what I say because I've learned that they repeat things to people. So I just, I, I like them. I can't trust them with things, right? So we don't open up to people anymore. We can't trust them. So then the friendship really hits a ceiling, Right? You can't really get that deep with them if you can't open up this way. So trust is so important because it creates safety to be honest about who we are, right? And friendship will only thrive where there's safety. I've been in a situation where rumors just swirled around me. You know, I'm in church leadership, and I've learned with talking from others, uh, other friends in ministry um, about how this can happen and a church can enter into a season where just rumors swirl and spread about people and about leaders. And so this can happen in companies. This can happen in extended families. It's happened in my neighborhood um, about someone on the board of the association. And so I was so grateful looking back in that season for those who knew me, who when they heard the rumor, they thought, that's not true. And if it is, you need to talk to Drew directly. You need to go to him. You shouldn't be telling me this. I was so grateful for people who did that rather than just hear it or hear it and say, do you guys think this is true? What do you think about this? Which happened um, a lot. 
And so in Proverbs, it's not just spreading gossip that's a problem. It's listening to gossip that's also a problem. I wonder if you've thought about that. When someone shares gossip, we have a responsibility to gently yet firmly tell them that, that that's wrong. And they're not handling it the way they should be doing. It's not right. You know, that you can be kind of become someone who's like the trash collector, you know? People just bring their garbage to you. And that's really dangerous because you're promoting the spread of gossip um, by inviting, being a listening ear to that kind of thing. Trust is so important because it creates safety. That's why it's important for churches to be a safe place where it's a, you create a culture and we're each responsible to create this, right? Creating a culture where people feel safe to be honest about who they really are. So this is the nature of friendship. Friendship is an affectionate bond as we journey together with truth and trust. So how do we cultivate it? So let's get very practical here. I want us to think together about a few important but neglected strategies. So here are several suggestions for cultivating friendship. And before we get into these, here's two ways to think about these suggestions. First, think about yourself personally. Uh, As we go, I'd encourage you to write down, you don't need to write down all of them unless you'd like to, that's fine, but write down the suggestions that stand out to you personally. And then at the end, uh, circle, uh, maybe underline the top three. So write the ones that you think, yeah, I need to think about this one more as we go. And then at the end, underline the top three and then circle the top one. Um, That'll just help us not kind of, when I'm, when I'm in sessions like this, you know, I feel like so many suggestions can come my way. And I'm like, man, those are all great. And then I kind of leave with this impression of like, man, there's a lot of great things I should be doing. And then I don't do anything, right? Um, so get concrete, write down something specifically, and then circle the one thing that you want to take your next step um, to do. And then here's a second way to think about these. Uh, listen to this for your role in cultivating a culture of true friendship. So don't just think about you personally, how you want to grow. That's the first thing. But think about, as you hear some of these, what are some suggestions that you can take to help other men implement? And maybe even think, you know, in the suggestions I give, some of them may seem really obvious, right? But if they're obvious to you, they're not necessarily obvious to everyone, nor are they actually functionally happening in the community of friends or the church or workplace that you have. So if you hear something obvious that you think you're doing well, write it down because that's something that you can really lean into to help cultivate in other people. So write it down to say, yeah, this is something that I'm going to have in mind to cultivate with other people because we're all responsible to help each other thrive in friendship and you encourage others. All right, so here's a few. First, whenever possible, get face-to-face. Getting face-to-face is crucial for cultivating true friendship. The Apostle Paul wrote letters to the Thessalonian church, and when we read these letters, we get a clear sense of just how close he was to them. They were deeply connected, but although he wrote to them, listen to what he said was his preference. We pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face-to-face. So Paul's writing letters, and that's great. I'm glad he did, right? Aren't we all? But he, as he's writing letters, he was thinking, I wish I didn't have to do this. I would prefer to be face-to-face. 
I'm praying all the time that I can get to you face to face. The Apostle John wrote something similar. In 2 John 12, he said this, I would rather not use paper and ink. Right, today, I would rather not write this email. I would rather not pick up the phone right now. Right, he's saying, in, his, in the technology of his day, he's saying, I would rather not rely on technology, paper and ink. Here's what he said. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. And listen to this. So that our joy may be complete. Do you hear the connection between getting face-to-face and having their joy complete? That's striking. So technology is a great gift. Paper and ink then, right? But it, it isn't the fullness of joy that we were made for. We cannot experience the fullness of joy we were made for because, I mean, just, let's, let's just think why. Why is it the case that John could say, happy to write to you in letter, uh, but I wish I didn't have to because I want to see you face to face, because then our joy would be complete. Why is it that way? And the reason is because God didn't make us hard drives, right? He made us fully embodied creatures. Um, It's really significant even right now that I'm seeing the way you're looking at me. I'm seeing some of you sleep. I'm seeing how you're... I'm kidding. Um, You know, this is this is different. You know, I could have, Trent could have just said, or Abe could have just said, hey, Drew, can... uh, can you just kind of email us some thoughts that, that the guys can then we'll just, we'll just send out the email and maybe just encourage the guys at some point this weekend to kind of read it? Uh, it it's not the same, right? And so John feels that. Um, communication is way more than typing words. We are more than just our minds and thoughts. Most of our communication happens non-verbally. Uh, most of our joy happens in these times when we can express and experience each other in fully embodied ways. So whenever possible, get face-to-face. Just lean as close as you can. Second, establish rhythms in your schedule. So uh, share with me, what are some maybe obvious but essentially important things in your life? Kind of the big rocks that you think, this has to be in my life for me to exist as a human being and thrive as a human being. Eating. Eating, yes. What else? Sleeping. Sleeping, what else? Job, got to make some money, got to work, use your vocation, serve people. What else? What are some things less essential, but still really important for you? Entertainment. Entertainment of sorts, yeah. What else? For some, yeah, family time, right? That's great. And so what do you do to make sure that these stay as functional priorities? You schedule them. Yeah. You get a rhythm. You build your schedule around them. Right? If you value reading the Bible and praying, hey, how come no one said that? Just kidding. If you value reading the Bible and praying, you know, Jesus said, you don't live by bread alone, right? But his words. Um, that's, that's no condemnation, I know. You guys were thinking it. All right, so <laughs> reading the Bible and praying, I mean, this is, if this is important, right, you build a schedule around it. You build a rhythm around it. You find the time that works for you. If we want to exercise... That will only happen for most of us if we commit to some kind of schedule or rhythm, right? If we value eating together as a family, you've got to build around your schedule around. You've got to figure out your work schedule so that you can have that time, either breakfast or dinner or something like that as a family, in a predictable way, in a predictable time. Here's, so here's my proposal. Build friendship into your schedule. Get a regular rhythm of coffee or breakfast or lunch or dinner or drink 
with somebody. I meet at, just to give you an example, at 3.30 every other Monday with my friend Taylor. We meet at Starbucks for coffee. We get together throughout the week. We spend a lot of time together. Um, But this is a time where we make sure that we have a rhythm so we don't miss it. And that's a time when we make sure we're talking about the most important things to us. Um, Where we talk, we just kind of open up our souls to each other. How are you doing on the important things in life? Your marriage, your walk with the Lord, and so forth. I know one man who's been having breakfast nearly every week with friends for decades. Incredible. All right, second, or third, take conversations one step deeper with good questions. So face-to-face, build a rhythm, good questions. Just recently, I heard about one man who said he didn't get together in certain contexts, even like these kinds of contexts, gatherings and retreats, because he found that conversations were superficial. Uh, I think rather than blaming other people for that, we can change that, right? Um, If you find yourself not being around certain situations because conversation is superficial, you can actually change it. And there's a really easy way to do it. The best way to make conversations go deeper is to ask good questions. Right? Asking good questions shows people that we care about them. It shows that we value what they think. And it allows us to take conversation deeper, conversations deeper in a natural way. So you know, consider what questions you want to ask someone before you get together. If you have a coffee appointment or a, a breakfast or a lunch on your way to meet with them, just think, what do I want to ask this person so that uh, the conversation is significant and meaningful? So what are some questions that you, maybe some of you do this and you have some go-to questions. Um, what are questions that come to your minds that... Uh, you can bring up in conversations in a natural way to just help conversations go a step deeper than the typical stuff we may talk about. What are some ideas? Yeah. What are you working on in the Bible? Yeah, that's great. What are you working on in the Bible? What are you reading in the Bible these days? And then how's that affecting you? Or why, is that stand, why does that stand out to you? Yeah, that's great. How's God working in your life? How's God working in your life? That's great. Any other ideas? Mm-hmm. Ask the same question three times differently. Yeah. Do you have an example of what kind of question? How are you doing? Uh huh. What's going on good? What's going on bad? Yep. That's great. Yeah, and I love that one. What's going on good? What's going on bad? So, so often the things that matter most to us are the things that kind of capture our emotions. So, what's what are you enjoying lately? Um, what are some highlights this past week for you? Or What's discouraging you lately? Has there anything been hard recently for you? Right? Hitting those kind of mountaintops and valleys keeps us from the kind of flatlands of merely sports and superficial things about work and family. Yeah. What other questions might you use as go-to questions? Mm-hmm. If you just went through an event together and then you get together and debrief over it, yeah. it's real easy to get quite a bit deeper if you're really yeah, that's great. Yeah, we had a friend come over for um, um, a movie. We would watch a show together sometimes and just make sure we linger afterward and talk about it and process it as Christians, you know, um, and reflect on that together. That's great. Um, a couple that I use, I just ask, um, what, are a f- what are a few things that are on your mind lately? You know, that's not a threatening question, but it just gets to their kind of inner thought world and what keeps coming in their minds lately gives them an opportunity to be open with you. So what's, what's on your mind these days? Um, yeah, what's encouraged you recently? What's been discouraging to you? 
Um, the language of how are things going signals a desire to hear depth as well. So how are things going at work these days? How are things going at home with you these days? Right? Um, and then just, what are you reading recently? Um, what stood out to you from it? How are things going at school? Those kinds of things. And then once they answer that question, the, the key is just to stay curious, you know? And maybe just ask why. Tell me more. Tell me about that. Just be curious. Love them enough to care. And just keep asking about what they're talking about. And then share openly yourself as well. So good questions. It's just an incredible secret to good, deep conversations and friendship. Fourth, uh, affirmation. Oxygenate your friendships with affirmation. One of the most powerful tools is affirmation, encouragement, expressing honor. Romans 12.10 says this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Showing honor. What's that mean? It means expressing your esteem for someone. It can include affirmation, and affirmation is relational oxygen. A few years ago, I went on a trip to Colorado with some friends. Go every year for an extended weekend with some friends. It's one of these rhythms that takes sacrifice but make work. Trent and I often go with some friends. We've been doing it for 15 years. Um, So we went to Colorado one year, and we drove up a mountain, then hiked up further several hours. As we went higher and higher, you could see the trees getting thinner and more sparse, right? Um, It was harder harder, harder to breathe. One friend got sick, and that was miserable at some level. Headaches, uh, because the oxygen was low, right? The next year, we went to Colorado again, and this year we came prepared. Have any of you heard of Boost? The uh, not like the health drink. I think there's something like that. It's like this oxygen in a can, and they have it in flavors too, like peppermint. You put this thing up to your mouth, and you spray it, and it's just a fresh boost of oxygen. And it was incredible. Some guys got headaches. They took some boost. They felt fine. It was incredible. So what happens without oxygen? Right, you become sluggish and you become tired, that is what our relationships become like without affirmation. And that is why so many friendships among men are, have withered over time and feel just tired and sluggish and thin and hollow. And what do they need? Affirmation. Every time you affirm a friend, it's like giving like a puff of that boost. Probably not the best talking about puffing in Colorado. Um, oxygen, oxygen. All right. Uh, so Romans twelve ten again. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. We aren't just to honor each other, but to outdo one another in showing honor. Ray Rutland Jr., a pastor in Tennessee, said this about that text. Here is a competition in which everyone wins. Here is is where we can fight for first place in line, in honoring one another, not just accepting one another, not just forgiving one another, not just tolerating one another, but honoring one another. Every church can be a culture of honor. What a vision. So this tells us something about God as well. It tells us that God is guiding us as his people to create communities 
of, with an atmosphere of celebration and joy. That's what our friendship should be, be about. I mean, who doesn't want to be encouraged? Raise your hand if you feel like you, you probably receive a bit too much encouragement these days. I mean, we laugh because it highlights just how absent this is and just how much more we need of this kind of encouragement. Everybody wants to walk into an environment where they're wanted and they know they're wanted. It's why it's so important for us to be uh, looking for people in a room like this, in atmospheres like this, who might be alone and may not want to be alone. Just be magnets to people, right? And with this joyful welcome. Ortland also writes, We gospel-centered people are under the command of God to create alternative cultures of honor called churches, where people are lifted up, their accomplishments celebrated, their strengths admired, and their weaknesses forgiven. Right? Alternative cultures of honor, because this is not the culture we live in. Right? Uh, default cultures post-Genesis 3 are not cultures of expressing esteem for one another. Um, but we gospel-centered people, as he said, are under the command of God to cultivate alternative cultures. I think of people that do this so well in my life that I've learned a lot from. Uh, a friend of mine, Bill Chapman, I think friendship should be intergenerational. He's, I think, 81 years old, and he's a close friend of mine. Um, and he just sends me just random texts. It'll be in person as well, but he's sometimes traveling um, as well. And so he'll send me text messages, and I just out of the blue, just incredibly encouraging. You know, so I just looked at my phone yesterday and just wrote, wrote a few recent ones down. So here's, here's a couple just random snippets recently from texts that he sent me. Uh, please know how much you and your family are appreciated. So he just kind of gave an update on life and then just threw that in there. Please know how much you and your family are appreciated. Then another one, he said some things about updating and he says, we are so thankful for you and Christina and your boys and you are a huge blessing for us and many, many folks. And then another one, he uh, listened to a sermon of mine and he just gave some really encouraging response. And then he said, you know, he said, I appreciate that, you know, different things appreciate it. And then he ended this way, more than that, I truly appreciate you with three exclamation points. Who doesn't want that kind of friend? And that's not for a personality type. That's for all of us uh, to give that kind of affirmation, steady stream of encouragement to each other. Now, this can feel uncomfortable at first. People don't sometimes know how to receive it because we aren't used to receiving it. Um, It can feel awkward, especially as men. We've lived in a culture that makes it feel normal for men to tear each other down, not build each other up. We actually make fun of this kind of thing sometimes. You know, it's so rare to just look another human being in the eye, another brother in the eye, and say, I respect you. Here's what I admire about you. I love you. I am so grateful that you're my friend. Uh, But this is what we, we need to do. I remember... Um, visiting a church that had this culture clearly and they were intentional about it. And I asked one of the guys um, about that. And he, he was only a few months into this church and he said, yeah, when I first got here, it was kind of awkward. You know, guys kind of just looking each other in the eye and saying what they admire about each other, encouraging each other, and why, why they thank God for one another. And he said, but then 
I started to kind of get rewired and it felt like I was being rewired to the way it was supposed to be. So in other words, if it feels awkward, know that that's a signal that you're off, not this thing you're attempting to do is off, right? We need to get flipped right side up. Think of um, Tolkien, and he said, you know, he only wrote Lord of the Rings because of, uh, I think the language he used was the sheer encouragement that C.S. Lewis would give him. He'd read his stuff and said, keep going, this is awesome. That's why we have Lord of the Rings, because of the sheer encouragement of one friend to another, convincing that friend that his stuff was good. Amen. That's right. That's great. Too much affirmation. No, never too much. Don't listen to this guy. That's good. All right, another thing. Invite someone. And Lord of the Rings, that's a story about friendship. Uh, one of his agendas and Lewis's was to recover true friendship uh, in their culture. All right, so uh, fifth, invite someone into what you're already doing. I mean, isn't one of the biggest challenges we have? Uh, how are we going to make time for this, right? How are we actually going to get together and do this? Where in the world are we going to find it? Our schedules are full. Now, it's going to be different for everyone. I think in our culture, it's striking how we're a culture of busyness. And yet, look at the stats of how much time we spend looking at entertainment on screens. It's actually striking. I think some of us may not be as busy as we think or feel. We may need to step back and think, how many movies have I binge-watched or shows, right? How often am I just scrolling social media and maybe just think, I need to maybe retool my schedule and just be honest. I'm actually not busy. I actually really do have time. But others of us, we really are full with really important things. How do we make time for this? Well, one thing you can do is to reassess your priorities. You have built your schedule around probably some really good priorities. Work, family, right? Um, But if you've not built your schedule with the priority of friendship in it, you might need to step back and readjust some things. Um, Because you're doing a lot of good things around a lot of good priorities, but you've missed one. And so you can retool your schedule. But here's, here's the main thing I want to encourage you to do. Um, building extra time can be hard, but there's also a lot of room in our schedules to include friendship into what we're already doing. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, invite people into what you're already doing. If you're going to a park with your family on a Saturday, think of who might be able to join you. Is there another family that may want to join you? Is there another brother who's not married who would love to join you in your family? Um, If you're going to the store, invite someone to join you. Um, Here's a few examples from you. A friend of mine helped me replace fence posts. I needed to do that, and um, it wasn't just kind of like free labor. Like he and I both knew this is a great opportunity to to, uh, enjoy time together. And so then I helped him install a floor in his house. We just help each other with things. Um, he helped me build a roof on my deck. Um, I usually like watching some, some of the NBA playoffs when they come around, and I'm going to watch it anyways. Why not invite someone else over who wants to watch it? And one of the guys I invite over doesn't even care, but he knows, like, why not? You know? Drew asked me, he's watching anyways. Invite people over to dinner. You're already eating. Um, I've started working out with a friend rather than doing it alone. When my wife and I were going to watch a TV series, Um, I won't admit to you which one it was. I think you won't affirm me. Um, We found a friend who liked it as well. And so we watched it together. What's that? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. That's true. No. That's true. Here's the deal. That, that show started. My wife was watching. I kind of like, I was trying for a few minutes. I was like, I can't do it. And so like, I'm in the other room while she's watching this thing. And we try not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, uh, I don't know how it happened, but I started sitting through one of them and I kind of liked it. Because of its historical accuracy, of course. Um, that is part of it, actually. All right. It, stop it. Stop it. Stop. Okay. So here's the deal. So, so, well, but here's there was another guy who I knew watched it. He wasn't he wasn't afraid. Anyway, so we said, why don't you come over and watch it with us? So, but it was great. We he would come over on Saturday. He'd come over. We'd invite him over early, hanging out with our boys. He'd have dinner with us. He started bringing steaks for us. It was awesome. And then we watched, we watched the show, and then afterwards we'd hang out for a while, talk about issues in his life. It was great um, because we just decided we're not going to watch this by ourselves. All right, six, view your church gatherings. We're gonna, only going to do 30, so we're, we're making headway. <laughs> just kidding. Just a few more. Uh, view your church gatherings as contexts for forging friendship. We all want deeper friendships. We all know that time is limited. So, you know, what if we could all be at the same place at the same time on a weekly rhythm? We are, right? So come early and linger longer. Um, You know, if we're intentional with our Sunday morning gatherings, they can be places where friendships really deepen over time. We gather to hear God's word, to pray, to sing, to serve, and we do it for all those reasons, but we do it together there's a reason why we meet together for these things. So what might change in your life, if you don't already do this, if you came early rather than on time or even late, you're welcome, and lingered longer? What might change? You know, come early and look for people to connect with. You know, when people are visiting a church, one of their greatest fears and anxieties is, is anyone going to talk to me, right? Just commit to saying, you know, I might... I'm going to do that, and maybe I'm going to meet future friends. Or my job is to connect people in friendship. So I'm going to look for someone who's not talking to anyone, and then I'm going to be thinking, who can I connect them with right now? I mean, I do that all the time. You know, I'll talk with someone, and it's sometimes awkward. Even last Sunday, there was a guy um, sitting right here in a pew, another guy down here, and during this kind of fellowship time break, they're, all, they're both just sitting there. And so I said, hey, do you know him? And he's like, no, you guys know each other? No, you guys should get to know each other. And I left. <laughs> So, and they'd introduced each other and they were fine, you know? Um, so you can probably do that with a little more finesse, but you could do that. So, um, you know, linger longer, talk, invite someone over for lunch afterwards, invite someone out for lunch afterwards, talk about the sermon. You're welcome again. Uh, seventh, um, this is really important, infuse your friendships with discipleship intentionality. In other words, just bring friendship and discipleship together. This is one of the primary ways we grow as Christians. Spiritual growth happens through relationships. Discipleship is deeply relational. This is how Jesus modeled it, right? He's having meals with people. He's taking long walks with people. He's having long conversations with people. He opens up to them. He called them his friends. He's modeling the kind of lifestyle that he intended for his people to continue. He calls us to a life of spiritual growth in the context of community. So the church can't be viewed merely as a weekly event where relative strangers gather to hear God's word. It has to be viewed as a place where we receive God's word and God's word calls us into thick relationships. 
So the church should be viewed not mainly as an event for relative strangers to gather to, but as a network of overlapping relationships where we seek to be and make disciples together. Do life together. Discipleship happens in the car. Discipleship was happening after watching Downton Abbey. Discipleship happens taking a walk together, eating meals together, working together. So when you think about your friends, think how you can help each other follow Jesus better. Ask those questions that take you to those places. Confess your sins to one another. Have hard conversations together. Read God's word together. Eighth, build hospitality into your schedule. You know, um, hospitality is not entertainment, right? It's, uh, it's opening your heart and your home. It's welcoming people into your life, especially outsiders. It means you are interested in people, you're kind to people, you serve people. It often can include welcoming people into your homes if you have a home context, um, or you, you can invite people out. Um, it's a great way to foster friendship. This is the last one, by the way. And I'll just give an example of how Christina and I try to do it. Um, we try to open our house. This is kind of the rhythm, so we want to do this all the time, but the rhythm we've established is... Um, one night each week, we want to open our home for hospitality. doesn't happen every week. Um, and Wednesday's the night we picked right now. If Wednesday's full with something else, we try to do it Tuesday. So we have stuff going on other nights, but we know Wednesday and Tuesday are the most open. So we want one of those to be just kind of home as a family if we can, and one of them for hospitality. And so right now our plan is to have Wednesday nights, and we look for that spot, and we just block it off. I put a little H on my calendar. And then we, we do kind of a calendar sync Sunday nights often, and we'll just think through who do we want to invite over the next couple of weeks. Um, sometimes we'll have a list of people that we want to get to know or that we want to have time with or that people we think aren't really connecting with others really well, and so we can have them over to talk with them. Um, we'll either have them over for dinner or dessert. You know, we have four boys. Um, our youngest is three, so dinner can be kind of hard. We've noticed that some people don't really understand what's happening. Um, <laughs> And so we've really shifted in a lot of ways. You know, if, if people have kids and they, and they will understand, then we'll have them over, have the kids eat first, then the adults will eat. Um, other, other times, most often now, we just invite people over for dessert. We say, come over at 7.15. Um, you know, our, our boys are kind of going down about that time. And, um, and then we sit for an hour, hour and a half. We just have, we don't have anything fancy. We just kind of grab some dessert things, maybe chocolates, M&Ms, fruit, I don't know. Um, and then we just sit in our family room and talk for a while. So we have that kind of just blocked off, and it's been so great. Um, and then we use weekends for more spontaneous times with people that are closer to us, um, closer, closer friends. So here's the main point. Friendship takes work. It takes intentionality. We have to put away our passivity with friendship and take concrete steps to cultivate it. So even right now, why don't we just take a moment, look over your list, underline three things, circle the one thing. All right, so... It takes work. It's hard. But isn't that what God has done for us? Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? We are very difficult friends. Uh, We have been his enemies. And what has God done concretely to cultivate friendship with us? Jesus came face to face with us. He did give us a book. He came face to face. Jesus expresses deep affirmation and affection to us. Uh, He oxygenates us with words of affirmation. History is going to culminate. Uh, Part of the culmination of history will be the Lord Jesus saying over you, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And he calls you a servant there, but he also says uh, after that to his disciples, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I've called you friends. So this is why we'll see the next session. The best way to become a better friend is to enjoy friendship with the best friend. So that's what we'll consider next.